okay, Kena? Just a dream, Ma. It was the worst nightmare I ever had. You wouldn't believe it. I dreamed about a guy in a dirty red and green sweater. Oh, he scraped his fingernails along things. Actually, they were more like finger knives or something. Something he'd made himself. Nancy, you dreamed about the same creep I did. as if there were four razors cutting at the same time. Nancy, help me, please. Save me from... Freddy. This is just a dream. This isn't real. This is just a dream. He isn't real. I brought something out from my dream. Where did you get that? I grabbed it off his head. Rod didn't kill Tina. This is Guy. He's after us in our dreams. Fred Krueger, Mom. Fred Krueger. Do you know who that is, Mother? Because if you do, you better tell me because he's after me now. Are you Cleveland now, Nancy? There was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood. Nancy. A bunch of us parents tracked him down after they let him out. thing up and watched it burn. Maybe we're gonna have a big earthquake. They say things get really weird just before. It's just a nightmare. That's enough. Hi, this is Larry Zerner from Friday the 13th Part 3, and you're listening to the hysteria continues. And indeed you are. Welcome back uh, to episode 84. And appropriately, as we discussed last time, we are covering a movie from 1984. And that movie is taking us to Springfield, Ohio or California. I can never remember which. Springwood. Springwood. Oh, which, what did I say? Springfield. Yeah, that's where The Simpsons come from. Okay. Yeah, you were thinking of The Simpsons. Oh, dear. So it's already gone wrong, isn't it? Mm. What an intro. Um, but we're covering 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was um, Eric's pick. So before we get on to that, um, let's get on to Eric. How have you been? Hashtag brilliant. Okay, well that's good. Because I'm trying to be cool and trendy? Yes. Hashtag cool and hashtag trendy. Okay, well it'll, um, I'm sure it'll happen one day. Um, hashtag shag off. <laughs> um, and obviously, and there was a terrible incident, wasn't there, this week with... Um, you know, it was very sad to hear that Toya had injured herself. Yeah, she hurt her arm. It wasn't a break in the end, though. It wasn't, no. No. No, I did say some very unkind things. You did say some very unkind things, so be prepared. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. All I said was it's a shame she didn't hurt her, her mouth. But, um, <sighs> but anyway, let's move on from that. So, Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I am working. Mm. This is the first time I've done the podcast while I'm actually working. Well, that's dedication for you, isn't it? Yeah, hashtag I'm dedication. that dedicated. <laughs> Are we going to get a lot of this hashtagging, Eric? Well, that's what cool people do. Okay. Well, they do it on the internet. They don't actually say it, do they? They do sometimes. Oh. Okay. Well, let's see what happens anyway. Okay. Joseph, how are you doing? Maybe when she says something that makes no sense, she's actually trying to dig into you, to explore you, 
You should look at yourself with the same blind eyes and perhaps you will find something that you never knew about yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that from? It's not another Simpsons reference, is it? <gasps> what? I don't know it either. No, I don't <gasps> either. It's oh, Stefania Stella. Oh, okay. oh, of course. I thought, Remember, he, he says, he I says, thought, what are you trying? What are you trying to say? Nothing. I thought you were being a Mexican bandit. <laughs> so well, did I. <laughs> she is a Mexican bandit, isn't she? Okay, I don't. Well, I, well, don't I was going to do a one. I was going to do a one, two. Toy is coming for you, but it seems like you guys are already started that. So yes. I did Stefania. Okay. She's a stuff of nightmares, anyway. She is. No, my favorite thing Stefania related is when uh, Justin was saying that the one guy was talking to her like, oh, you know, you're so young. You've got your whole life ahead of you. <laughs> and I think Justin said that she's 50 if she's a day. Yeah. Yes, our, our friend Stefania. Um, and it's a shame that Halloween film that they were going to do never happens. Stefania versus Michael Myers would have been uh, that would have been amazing. It would have been. She would have still hope it might happen. <laughs> she would have scared the mask right off of it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, from one supernatural um, allegedly slasher to another, and we're going to be covering, as we said, the classic Nightmare on Elm Street a little bit later. And it's the first time, considering we're up to eighty-four, we I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about maybe later why have we avoided it. And if so, why? But um, before we do that, let's um, have a chat about what we've been watching. So, Joseph, do you want to go first? Yeah, the um, the only thing I really watched was the Slice and Dice uh, documentary that you produced. Mm. And I enjoyed it. Um, I, I like this one because instead of you know rehashing a lot of facts that everyone knows about, it, it's basically a bunch of people just giving their you know personal opinions on these films. And I kind of find that refreshing. Um, it was really well made, and everyone, you know, talking about these films were very likable, and no one was really condescending to the film. So, yeah, I a big thumbs up. I enjoyed it. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Um, they've got new, obviously, they've got their new Jello doc coming out, and they've been working on a Scream Queens um, <laughs> documentary. Not the mm. Scream Queens Patrick uh, mm. podcast, but actually the 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 Queens of Scream like uh oh, i hope quickly. they find some like obscure ones mm. like jamie lee curtis yes yeah that's very obscure i'm <laughs> yeah. sure she'd do it she might do um so okay well that that's that's good is anything else joseph uh no i haven't really had much time to watch anything so okay. that's it cool okay uh what about you nathan well last night i watched freaky friday with jamie lee curtis okay <gasps> i love well, the remake with uh <laughs> Lindsay lohan yeah, with Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. The whole time I was thinking, oh, Lindsay, because she kept saying stuff like, well, I can't ride a motorcycle. My mom would kill me. And I'm like, oh, if she only knew what you were really going to get into later in life. Mm-hmm. Jamie Lee would not approve. No. Um, but no, horror-wise, I watched the new Purge movie, The Purge Anarchy. Mm. And, you know, I'm one of these people that I never understand why people hate the first one. Like, I'll, I'll never understand it because... I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess one argument is they think it's a good idea, but the first one didn't quite utilize it to its, you know, fullest potential. Mm. So, I mean, I kind of can understand that argument, but for the most part, I thought it was a really fun movie. Um, so I, I really don't understand the hate, but the sequel actually does take the idea and, you know, goes much further with it, you know, cause in the sequel, 
it's the whole city and like it's like a group of people trapped out in the city on purge night and of course you know nobody's opening their door to let them in so they're trying to basically you know survive um but it's it, it was really good i like the characters you know i like the whole they play with the whole thing of you know the purge is basically you know the rich wanting to do away with the poor and the people they consider like you know the bad people of society i guess hmm. But I, I liked it a lot. Uh, I thought it was really entertaining. And, you know, it's nice to see some people get their comeuppance in the end. Mm. Well, I've, I heard everything I've read about it. As I said, it's, it's a good kind of action, horror, popcorn movie. That's right. That's it's um, exactly right. I mean, it, I wouldn't go in expecting, you know, um, a classic by any means. But if you just go in expecting, you know, just nonstop. And, you know, I do say, you know, a lot. I've been listening to myself, and I'm like, I keep saying, you know, you know, you know. So the guy's right, the one that said that <laughs> in the feedback. It's it's self perpetuating though. If you keep on, if you remind yourself, it's going to. Um... <laughs> That's what I've been doing. I'm like, do I keep saying that? Yes, I do. <laughs> you know, I'm one of the people who actually liked uh, the purge as well. You know, I think it's um, <gasps> I think it's un- <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I I really don't get the hatred for the purge. I thought it had you know a very clever premise, and I think the the ending was a very, you know, kind of inverted take on what you expect is going to happen. And I really enjoyed that. And a lot of people just kind of bash the shit out of it. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the purge anarchy. Hmm. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. It I think you guys will like it. Just, I mean, don't go in, you know, like I said, expecting something, uh, you know, I guess an, another classic, you know, to me, uh, did any of you guys watch the collection? That sequel to The Collector? Yes. yes. Yeah. Did you guys like it? Not yes, really. we've talked about it on the show once before. Mm. I can't remember what everybody's opinion was, though. Did you say you didn't like it, Justin? I, well, I, I didn't hate it, but I thought it was so silly that it just kind of I took me out of it completely. Oh, for well, God's sake, you're, I, a, fa- I, yeah, you're well, a fan of slasher movies. <laughs> for God's sake. Oh, Eric. The, the collection had that great opening scene in the nightclub. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, that was good. But um, the rest of it was just a bit silly anyway. <laughs> You're giving well, the purge. films being silly. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> the purge anarchy, anarchy is, not, <laughs> is not silly like the collection, but it is very fast-paced like that. Mm. Hashtag Inga. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag it's going to get worse. Oh. Hashtag I can't wait. <laughs> Ah, well, we shall see. How, Follow um, Eric on Twitter. Yes. Mm. It, would, it would be interesting to see how Inga develops this um, episode, considering we haven't got a quiz. Mm. That's usually your, the, uh, the that safety usually valve. Yeah, fires me off, yeah. Yes. The raison d'etre, as it were. Mm, okay, well, let's see what happens. But um, thank you. Any more? Anything else? No, that's no. it. Okay, well, Eric, how about you? What have you been oh, watching? Okay, well, I watched a 1998 movie that I hadn't seen before called Phantoms, which was directed by Joe Chappell, or Chappell, or Chappell, mm. who did uh, Halloween 6. Uh, and it stars a young uh, Ben Affleck and uh, a youngish, I suppose, Rose McGowan, Lee Schreiber. Peter O'Toole is in there as well for some reason. Uh, it's about this organism from deep under the earth that has been dormant for a long time, but has resurfaced and sort of wipes out an entire town in a manner similar to, I suppose, a thing or maybe the blob. It's kind of this black oily substance that infects people and makes them pawns in its plans for world domination. Um, apparently, uh, well, not apparently, it is uh, an adaptation of a Dean Koontz novel. And the only other thing Dean Koontz um, 
movie adaptation I've seen is Watchers, and this was slightly better than that, although that's, you know, damning with faint praise. I didn't particularly care for either of them. I mean, it has its moments, but overall it's a bit muddled and doesn't quite add up to a satisfying 90 minutes, and the plot sort of makes little sense and, you know, clues to what the Achilles heel of the alien substance is, or, you know, stumbled across and you know, a tad too easily. And this is probably a side effect of whittling down a big, huge novel down to a 90 minutes screenplay. And it happens quite a lot in Stephen King movies as well. But it was free to view on Netflix. And so I can't moan. I, you know, I didn't have to splash out money for it. And I've seen plenty worse, but it was certainly a, a bit of a meh movie, as I think the youngsters hashtag meh. You get Netflix? I finally I signed had... Okay. I finally signed up to Netflix, yes. I thought you had like that love film. I don't know. We don't get that in um, Ireland. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. me. That's I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So has oh, anyone okay. else? Has anyone else seen Phantoms? I mean, it is sixteen years old now at this stage. Yeah, yeah. I saw it at the theater actually. Oh, really? What? Yeah, I I remember thinking it was pretty bad, but I haven't seen it since. But I'd be, kind of be interested in maybe revisiting it. Hmm. It's going to it's going to shock you guys, but. I watched it a really, really long time ago, and I remember really liking it. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean it has stuff in it that's good, but, but, but. Have you seen it, Justin? I haven't. No, it's not one that I've um, ever particularly had any interest in watching. No. To be honest, I think it was kind of. It, I think it was. It didn't ride on the success of Scream a little bit. Yeah, I of, think it was a dimension. Pictures yes. production, yeah. So they were trying to do something different, but within the framework of a kind of teen horror movie. Yeah, because because um, what's his face? Lee uh, Schreiber. No, uh, Ben Affleck is playing like a, the sheriff of this town, and he's about nineteen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And wasn't it directed by the guy directed Halloween Six? Was it, it was. Yes. Yeah, yes. Joe Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I think I still prefer Halloween Six okay. of his of the two movies of his that I've seen now. I'm quite looking forward to going back to see Halloween 6 when we cover mm-hmm. it in October. Yeah. Because we probably will be, won't we, for our Halloween show. Yes. because Are we up to line. 6 now? We are. Because we did 4 and 5 back to back oh, together. Okay. Yeah, we did 1 and 2 together as well. So Yeah. I don't remember doing 4 and 5. It's very telling that you don't remember that because they're really not that great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, quite Speaking... looking forward, I'm quite looking forward to um, re-watching Buster Rhymes. In yeah. Halloween 7 as well. Chucky fried motherfucking chicken <laughs> motherfucking Michael fucking Myers. <laughs> you know, speaking of Halloween, um, on Facebook, this big argument blew up about, I mean, it was obviously about Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween. Has there ever been a remake that incites this much, I don't know, anger? Because people get really defensive if they love it, and people get really, like, you know, they're, they're really defensive if they hate it. Mm. I think it's very. Uh, I can't think of a more divisive horror remake. Although there's I been, can't either. Yeah, I mean, there is always when someone says. I mean, they just announced this week, didn't they, that they're going to be remaking The Exorcist. So, and that's already got people kind of, you know, hands in the air, kind of, you know. But uh, it's it's uh, the Halloween remake, uh, especially part two. I think is is so divisive. Definitely. You're right. Part two was the one that actually people were fighting about more because the people that defended it was talking about how slasher movies never go into the whole survivor's guilt thing and all that. And I'm just sitting back thinking, I don't really care about Laurie's survivor guilt. I just want to see slashing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, just, I don't care what she went through. All I care about is that she's so unlikable in part two 
you know, I, I think they should have just locked her in a padded cell at the very beginning, and the movie should have been about five minutes long. So yeah, I would have I would have actually cared about her survival survivor guilt if she were at all likable, but you know th- those films are just permeated with characters that are just so despicable and so annoying. So you know, fuck those movies. I think yeah. there's also a big thing at the moment because Rob Zombie is crowdfunding for his his newest movies. He wants a, a million yeah. dollars from you know this is the the millionaire Rob Zombie who's asking his fans to help him make a movie. And I think it kind of um, that's something, especially for you guys who've been, you know, real, you know, well, you found out firsthand, didn't you, how difficult it is to raise money mm-hmm. through? Well, this. we had nothing to show for it, so it was mm-hmm. much more difficult for us. But um, I've, I've kind of lightened my stance on, you know, these people wanting to go the indie route and raise money through the fans because I can understand that they want, you know, fan involvement and they want to, you know, sidestep the studio thing. But at the same time. Um, these people obviously have you know enough money to finance finance it themselves, mm. but I guess it's kind of like a catch twenty two that they don't really want to lose money. So maybe it's that you know he doesn't have enough f- faith that he'll recoup his losses. But um, but I was Not talking he's to ripping off movies. Yeah, I was talking to Nathan and I, I read the uh, the synopsis and saw some of his uh, production art, and it it reminds me like to a T of, of a movie called Slashers from two thousand was it two thousand one? Mm. Nathan, I think it was two thousand one. Yeah, it's basically the exact same plot, premise, everything, and I'm like, wow, that's just that's slashers. You know what? I'll save my money. I'll I'll watch slashers on Netflix or something, and you know, I would donate to Rob Zombie if he had like a perk that said, uh, I promise after this, I'll not, I'll not make any more movies. But he doesn't have that anymore. So. <laughs> yes, well, that's uh, Rob Zombie for you, but. Um Eric, Which I don't sorry. really mind if people rip off other movies. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, some of my mm. favorite films are actually rip-offs of other movies. But I'm not going to like it if people start going on about how original it is. Because if it follows that plot synopsis, then it really is following, you know, slashers, you know, for the most part. Yeah, and that's the thing. A lot of the comments are like, wow, what an original premise. And no, it's not. Mm, mm. I did wonder because there was a while, wasn't it? Because it was, it's called Thirty One, and obviously Halloween is the thirty first of October. So it's kind of people were thinking that perhaps this was really Halloween Three that he was going to be making, and it was all. Did you kind guys? Of um, oh, sorry, Justin. No, no. That's... Um, did you guys see the whole thing that erupted with uh, some blogger posted? You know about how Rob Zombie didn't like the original Halloween and mm-hmm. how, you know, they basically, they basically said a lot of stuff about him, all the things that he said he could do better that the original Halloween didn't do. And then of course he comes back and goes off on this blogger and calls her all kinds of names and stuff. And I, I mean, I, I've never had a problem with Rob Zombie, I, I guess like on a personal level, cause I don't know him. I'm not a big fan of his writing, but I don't really know him. But the way he came back at this blogger, who's probably like a young, like teenager or something, it just came off really nasty. You know, I mean, yeah, he called her he, like he called her he like called a, her a cunt stuff. I mean, <gasps> it was just he, really. Here's the thing: he came back. He came back at her and said, "I didn't say all that stuff like she said. Yeah, I, I said I've said that stuff in the past, but she pieced it all together. But the point is, you still said it." Uh, whether she unethically called you out on it, you you know you could have handled it a little more professionally instead of calling her a cunt. That is just kind of that is just rude. Hmm. Yes, I do think that he um, that the article was you know purposely trying to be incite uh, like you know incite something because it is a lot of out of context things that he said. You know, I mean, uh, I would rather he- know the original interview where 
I'd like to know the context in which he originally said this stuff, because anything can be taken out of context and pieced together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the way he came back, I mean, I would just think if you're just reading this and thinking it's just some stupid teenager wanting to write something, I mean, I would just ignore it. I don't know why he came back and was so angry about it. Well, it's also, I think it's uh, potentially, um, uh, she probably knew what she was writing and possibly what the reaction it might have got. I think there's a, you know, um, very much kind of a clickbait type thing going on there as well. So she would have got a huge amount of attention from that, from being attacked by Rob Zombie. So it's probably, like they say, there's no, um, you know, um, uh, you know, there's no, all publicity is good, really. Um, mm. Yeah, well, they've, re- they've since removed the article, I believe. Oh, have they? Okay. Yeah. Well, he removed his uh, response to it as well. But you know how the internet is. Once yeah. anybody posts something, it's out there, even if they delete it. Mm. Well, there you go. So the Rob Zombie dramas continue. But um, <laughs> Eric, was there anything else? Yes, just one other thing. Mm. I watched Sharknado 2, the second one okay. this week. I don't know if anyone else <gasps> caught no. it. Not yet. I got something no. funny about that, actually. Okay, well, it actually starts out really f- in a, with a really fun sequence. Uh, Tara Reed and Ian Ziering are flying to New York, and the plane runs headfirst into a Sharknado, and uh, sharks manage to penetrate the fuselage, and they start eating the passengers in a sort of snakes on a plane type of way. Mm. Um, and sort of then the rest of the film, like once they land, um, Ian Ziering actually has to land the plane in an it's a Airport 75, just to near the expert on the airport <laughs> movies, which is yes. the one with Karen Black landing yeah, the plane. Airport 75. Yeah, so, yeah. so uh, then the rest of the film sort of uh, plays out more or less identically to the first one, although the budget is obviously slightly higher. It's, it's threepence as opposed to tuppence in this one. Um, the first one kind of felt to me a bit choppy as if they didn't have enough time to shoot certain uh, cutaways and things like that. And this was, that, I found that less of a problem here. It felt more like a cohesive movie, uh, more polished, if that's a, the right word you can apply to something called Sharknado 2. Um, and again, they've played it straight, which is good because the, I'm sure the temptation is to make it into kind of a trauma movie with just nonstop absurdities and, and silliness. But they managed to play it straight, and, and that's what I enjoyed about it. And it's, it's very, very short. Although, if you're watching it on the Sci Fi Network, as we did, you have to sit there for almost uh, two hours and 10 minutes waiting to watch the 90 minute movie with the amount of ads they had. So, uh, but um, I think if you enjoy the first one, you'll certainly get a kick out of the second one. I mean, I wasn't mad on the first one, and this one I thought was an improvement on it. Okay. Yeah, I'm not crazy about the films either, but one one amusing thing is how cr- it's crazy how popular they've become because I went into uh, Subway to get a turkey sandwich and they had these little Sharknado uh, cardboard standees on their tables. That makes because sense. I think, cause there's, I, I think yeah. Jared is in the film, the, the Subway like spokesperson, the guy that lost all the weight. I think all he has right. like a cameo or something. There's but, lots of cameos in it, actually. Yeah, yeah and, and I saw these on there, and I actually asked them if I could have have one, and they're like, "No, we might can give them away after the promotion ends." But you know, I don't. I, I saw the first Sharknado. You know, it is what it is. Um, I haven't seen the second one yet. I'm not crazy about the whole sci-fi thing, but it's kind of neat that these films, these low films like this, are getting this kind of publicity. Mm. Yeah, so Subway so does have some very prominent product placement in the movie, and I was beginning. I was wondering whilst watching it if they had anything to do with. Um, promoting the movie obviously they do then and they have the sharks eat subway um no oh. they don't which makes sense they did mm-hmm. but i mean there is cameos in there by kelly osborne there was billy ray cyrus that fantastic country western singer with the wonderful mullet um although as my flatmate said shouldn't he be spending less time on filming sharknado 2 and more time getting his daughter to put on some clothes um <laughs> uh who else was in it oh there was will wheaton has a cameo in it as well Wheaton. 
Quill Wheaton. Quill Wheaton. Yeah. Quill Wheaton. Um, oh no, I thought it was good fun. Uh, I just, uh, I'm glad I pre recorded because I was able to fast forward the 50,000 billion commercial breaks that the sci fi movie, uh, sci fi channel had in it. Mm. Yeah, I got a question for you, Eric. Mm. Um, do you have to see part one to see part two? No, because neither of them has a plot really to speak of. Okay. Yeah. Because I want Wes to watch them, and and he really does not want to watch both of them. So I'm trying to pick the better of the two to show. I'd, him. I'd watch. I'd say I'd get him to watch two. I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Right. Well, thank you, Eric. Um, just quickly, a couple of things I saw. Um, I forgot to take the Carrie remake off my love film list, so I got that through again. Uh, so I thought I'd watch it again, and it, it didn't. It even by its own meagre standards, when I first saw it, it didn't doesn't really stand up to repeated viewings. In fact, um, a lot of it, uh, the, the, the kind of bad bits, kind of really stand out even more. So, um, but um, but one thing that was interesting with that was that um, one of the criticisms of the uh, the Carrie remake was um, was Chloe Moretz. What's her full name? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Yes, Chloe. But um, she was um, because she's so pretty that um, they did, didn't really make her. She never looked unpretty. She just had a bit unkempt hair, didn't she? Looked a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But they, could, they didn't really disguise it. Whereas um, Cici Spacek in the the original, um, she was really really good. Um, but yeah, Sissy Spacek was obviously looked really looked the part as both the kind of um, ugly duckling and also the beautiful swan. But the film, I didn't really want to talk about that um, anymore. But I saw another film which was um, did a similar thing. Um, it took a very beautiful actress and made her ugly, but it did in a much better way. Uh, and it's a film I hadn't heard about before, but it's called Excision um, yeah. from 2012. Have you seen it, Eric? Yeah. I have, yeah. yeah. It was at the. We've mentioned it on the podcast. Okay. Okay. Yes. yes. Well, I, I didn't remember you talking about that, but it's because it's, it's a friend gave it to me for my birthday back in May, and I hadn't watched it yet, but we decided to give it a spin, and I kind of really enjoyed it. I thought the because the main woman's from Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero remake. Yeah. Or they sort of the re the redo they did on it, isn't it? Was it Anna Anna Lynn McCord or something? Is that the one with Tracy Lords? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Waters. yeah. I love that film. I thought it was mm. great. Yeah, mm. I was less enthused about it. I have to say. <gasps> I mean, I, th- I, d- I, th- I thought I don't really... think it was a horror film for starters. <gasps> it was quite horrific, wasn't it? Don't you mm. what, even no, with her... it was disgusting. <gasps> yeah, with menstrual products and things like that. Um, oh, but there was, and... there was a scene, wasn't it, where she was having sex with that boy in the motel, and uh, there's this blood, you know, just gushing everywhere. Just think, things like that were quite, you know, it was, it was, it was, it, it's going to age really badly, isn't it? Because it, the, there's kind of all these kind of dream bits look like a Lady Gaga, Gaga <laughs> uh, video, don't they? Which is mm-hmm. kind of like, is going to not age very well. But I thought it was good. It was kind of, it was curious that had John Waters in it and his role wasn't funny, was it? No. It was quite sad, mm-hmm. I can guess. Um, and I thought uh, Tracy Lords was, was very, very good at it. Um, oh, she's excellent. Really, yeah. yeah, I didn't recognise her at first, and I kept on thinking. Oh, well, I thought I, I knew something about her. I thought you know, but I didn't. It wasn't until I had a look at IMDb that I realised it was her. So, yeah, she's a John Waters uh, mainstay these yes. days. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you know that Excision is based off of a short film of the same name by the same director? Okay, no, I didn't. Yeah. Well, I, I was just looking at I, IMDb at the moment. I could see two films listed. 
uh, as that. But I thought the main woman playing Pauline, who was the you know the uh, the, the teenage kind of um, misfit, that you could tell she was beautiful. But the way she acted, she was all like hunched up and slightly just looked, you know, she she would just she looked kind of. Um, morose and ugly even though you knew she was beautiful and actually they transform her in the same way as they do in Carrie in these kind of dream sequences where she's dressed in these very provocative clothes and kind of futuristic designs and um but uh, her whole way because I think Chloe Moretz is kind of is a good actress but I you know she um the woman in excision completely trumps her I think as far as actually making a, a believable ugly ugly girl Oh, yeah, I would agree. And I also remember Excision. I, I liked it a lot because uh, I thought it had wonderful, like, cinematography. Mm. And um, I, I didn't really care for the ending. I thought it was a little too abrupt. But overall, I thought, yeah, that that movie would probably trump the Carrie remake, which I have not seen and don't really care to. I actually disagree with Joseph on that. Like, <gasps> actually, I love the ending. Like, I thought the ending was the perfect capper to that film because it, I think it kind of – hits you like it's like a gut punch and then it just goes off because i mean i think it was the whole movie was building up to that because i kind of suspected that something like that was going to end up happening anyway but when it does it still packs a punch well it's not really my problem is with what the content of the ending is it's just like i thought that there should have been about five minutes before the ending not five minutes after i thought it needed like an extra five minute more minutes to kind of get to that ending so i was kind of disappointed in it. but overall the movie's really fun hmm. And another film I saw was um, the Paul Verhoeven film from 1983, The Fourth Man, which was um, he made, I think, in Holland. I think it was Dutch film, but um, I saw it years and years and years ago. And it's um, it's uh, it's kind of like a very dark comedy about a man who um, a writer who goes um, gives a talk and ends up staying at this kind of rich woman's house. And although he's he's gay, he's kind of like she's kind of she beds him and she gives him lots of gifts and things like that. And she's very beautiful, but he sort of finds out slowly that she's um, had three husbands before and they've all met untimely, violent deaths. And he becomes more and more convinced that she, the uh, you know, he's going to be the fourth man. Um, and it's very funny, but it's very dark as well. And it's lots, it's quite gory as well. There's kind of a, um, accidents and stuff where people get. Uh, uh, their eyes poked out and things like that, but um, it was kind of interesting as well because it's obviously Paul Verhoeven went on to do a lot of Hollywood uh, stuff as well. Um, has anyone else seen that? No, never seen that one. What, what was it called again? The Fourth Man. Oh yeah, I remember seeing that a long time ago, but I don't really remember much about it. Hmm. But you were mentioning Paul Verhoeven, and I actually forgot. I actually watched for the first time. Well, I mean, I'd seen I'd seen the film before, but I watched the unrated version of. Uh, Basic Instinct, which is God, it's just incredible how how brutal that film is. Unrated, I'd never seen the unrated version. Okay. Uh, it's just fantastic, you know, operatic violence and sex and just kind of cheesy dialogue. Hmm. I wonder what version we got over in the UK, Eric, and Ireland. Uh, well, I imagine it must have been the R-rated version. I imagine so. Yes, mm. because sure in the was. opening scene, they you know in the R-rated version, it, it's pretty graphic. But, you know, I, wa- I was watching the unrated version. There's a part where, you know, she's having sex with a guy and she, you know, she stabs him to death with a, the ice pick. But there's a, there's a part that's not in the R-rated cut where you see the ice pick just go through his nose. And, it, oh, it just looks so painful. I was like, oh, my God. It just made me mm. wince. Mm. Is that, can anyone actually see her vag when she uncrosses her legs? Or is that yes. a myth? Is that a myth? No, you can see it. Oh. 
We can see a, a little bit of growler, can't you? You can't see. It's, well, it's 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 a pubes, isn't it? You can't see. It's, yeah. You can see. You can see a little bit of the slit. I mean, you can't really see, obviously can't see like her uvula, uvula or whatever, but or her uterus or, or clitoris or whatever or you want to call it. Fallopian tubes. But you can see that you can see the slit and the hair. But yeah, it's interesting about that is that she. Uh, there's there's like controversy over whether she intended to do it or not because uh, there's some interviews where she's like uh, he told me to do it and I was like yeah because you know that would totally fit her character but then later on she's like she 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 did it on accident and he left it in there and she begged him to take it out and he wouldn't so they were at a party and she ended up like slapping him for it so I don't really know who to believe but she begged him to take it out Justin <laughs> <laughs> well we haven't had uh, haven't had a one of these for a little while, have we? We Hashtag know very matron. well you're a member of Big Dick's gang. Then why do you keep asking me? Where can we find Dick? <laughs> so, okay. Well, thank you, um, one and all, for, for that. Um, have, we got, uh, we, have we got any listeners' questions? I'm not sure we've even prepared anything. Uh, no. no. I haven't prepared anything, so sorry. No. Okay. Well, we'll have to come back to that at some point. So maybe uh, should we just go straight through to the the main presentation? Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Okay. Well, here is the trailer for A Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? <laughs> just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the John puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Ten years ago, a child murderer terrorized Elm Street. Eventually cornered in his lair by a group of vigilante parents, he was burned to death. Now, four teenage friends on Elm Street find they share the same recurring dream, a horrible dream about a murderer seeking revenge. But this dream seems almost real, and for the kids of Elm Street, it becomes a deadly nightmare. And that's the blurb from the back of the original uh, CBS Fox video release of A Nightmare on Elm Street, which I'm guessing probably was released around 1985 over here. And it was, in fact, the very first VHS I ever rented. Um, back in the day... Um, 
um, now get your violins out. I was wasn't from the wealthiest of families, so we didn't we didn't have a VCR. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So I had to save up my pocket money or my work money and rent a VHS recorder for, or player for the weekend. <laughs> um, yes, I rented. I rented a VCR for the weekend and four movies, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Revenge, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. So that was quite an interesting weekend. I had that uh, circa 87 or it was 87 or 88 because Dream Warriors was just out in the States. And so I was aware of the whole sort of Freddy phenomena um, that was emerging around the time. Um, But I was really, really completely floored by A Nightmare on Elm Street. It delivered on every single level, um, delivered exactly what, what the you know, the cover art uh, promised on the VHS box. It was scary and exciting. It had inventive effects, uh, a terrific killer. Uh, it had likable teen cast. Uh, and to this day, uh, you know, I stand by my original assessment from back in the late 80s. I still think it's a, fa- a fantastic movie and it's definitely Wes Craven's best movie by a country mile. Um, possibly my enjoyment is blunted by over-familiarity because I did have a copy of this um, back in the day and I think I've watched it about seven zillion times. Um, so... Watching it now probably isn't as much fun as it used to be. Uh, uh, what makes it work, I suppose, obviously everyone says Freddy's in the shadows and it makes the film a bit scarier, a bit more dark. Um, and it's the same same thing that, that Clive Barker did with the first Hellraiser. The Cenobites are kind of in the background, in the shadows, and that's what makes it sort of more intriguing. Uh, you know, and Freddy's reasoning as well for why he's going around killing these kids is kept a mystery until about two-thirds of the way through the film. Um, so you have that kind of mystery element which helps you draw you into the plot and it's possibly it's got more story going on than a lot of the sequels do which are just sort of these technicolor cartoons and disjointed series uh, sequences of um you know effects setups um but uh, i mean i do i think in terms of the looks of killers i mean I, as much as i like the shape and i like jason i think freddy's um sort of burnt visage apart from the appalling um makeup he receives in part six freddy's dead which i'm sure we'll get to in a certain number of years but uh i think he looks terrific particularly in this one and in the second one i think his makeup is fantastic uh and his weapon of choice of course the the razor blade claw which he doesn't actually use that much if you watch the entire series i mean tina is killed with the claw on this but i think she's the only victim possibly glenn we don't see what happens sort of you know beneath the bed um but as I said, the four kids are quite likable, uh, including Bad Boy Rod. Uh, it's the adults who actually who are the more annoying ones. Uh, John Saxon is good, but his character is a bit abrasive as the non-believing police chief father of Nancy. Uh, Ronnie Blakely, she's quite, I, I don't know, I think she's hilariously horrendous in the role of Marge. Maybe she's, maybe her portrayal of an alcoholic is very convincing. Justin, you'd, you'd, you'd be probably the best qualified to answer that one. Is she a convincing alcoholic? I wouldn't know, Eric. Um, I know she's convincingly awful in this movie, hilariously so. Yes. Um, I kind of, it's it still kind of, to this day, um, it makes me chuckle. Yeah. Uh, all the way through, she's just kind of, because I, I, she was in films like Nashville, wasn't she? And, um, Oscar, Oscar nominated for her role in Nashville. Yeah. Which, so, which makes it even more bizarre. Yeah. I don't know whether or not she just didn't want to do this, or she was on Quaaludes, or... Or she just thought she'd play a drunk, so she she would just be very incoherent. I, d- I don't know, but um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Out of all the um, out of all the actors and actresses in the film, um, and I know I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But some of the the performances are, are broader than I remembered them when I watched them this time. But uh, 
she really takes the biscuit. <laughs> she, she does indeed. I've all, I mean, even as a as a fourteen year old watching this, I was like, oh Jesus, she's a really bad actress. And I mean, I at that stage, you know, I was watching films like. Uh, pieces and thinking, ooh, she's a good actress. <laughs> so uh, that really says a lot. Um, but I mean, I do hold the film in a high regard as I do Halloween and Friday the 13th. Uh, if I was to point out a flaw, it's probably that the conclusion is a tad flimsy, I think. It's, it's a bit throwaway. Uh, and I know there's lots of trouble with the ending and there's all, all sorts of alternate versions, uh, which we'll really get, get into in the behind the scenes. Um, one thing that always bamboozled me is when the parents walk in and see Glenn's geyser of blood coming out of his mattress, uh, you know, no one reacts to the fact that this is one of the most supernatural things <laughs> that they've ever seen. They, um, now, I, I think the whole I, Wes Craven's intention was for the whole movie to be a dream in a sort of Bobby Ewing type of way. Um, so maybe that that's the only explanation you can think of. Uh, you know, and also looking back at some of the uh, effects are a bit low tech. I mean, if you look at something like the gooey stairs, you can see the cuts already in the in the each step for Nancy to step into. Also, the scene where he extends his arms looks incredibly phony. Uh, but I mean, I still prefer it to the sort of CGI wizardry they had at their beck and call for the 2010 remake, which again we'll probably get to later. Um, but there's just so much love in the film, uh, and I still do. As I said, I've probably watched it too many times for it to have um, the same impact on me today as it did when I was 14. But uh, I do love Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, so, Nathan, what do you think? Um, I quite love Nightmare on Elm Street. Quite I love? Think... That's not enough love. Okay, I, I love it beyond all shadow of a doubt. That's better. Um, I think that you know, for a lot of people, it doesn't pack the same kind of punch because all the sequels kind of made Freddy into kind of a cartoonish villain. But in this movie, he's actually a really scary villain. I mean, he still kind of has his one-liners, but I don't know. He's not as cartoony, in my opinion, in, in, in the first one. And I agree with Eric that Glenn's death, I mean, if you walked in the room and he's sunk into the bed and, like, there's blood shooting up out of the bed, I mean, that's going to be... That's going to make the national news. You know, <laughs> the parents might even get arrested for it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that would have been um, that would have been big news, I would think. You know, a boy eaten by bed. Um, and, and gravity to flying blood flow as well. I always wondered how he died. You know, I mean, maybe Freddie pulled him in and just used his uh, blades. But that was a lot of blood coming out of him. You know, the bed was throwing up a lot of blood. That would Justin probably would think he was sort of taken out of the film by its unbelievability at that stage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Eric. right. Now, why did you guys think that Ronnie Blakely was a bad actress? I thought she was good in this. What? What? Yeah, Are you I serious? That, I didn't think she was that bad. I don't know where. He, what, what, is there a particular scene where she's really horrendous in your guys' opinion? Uh, every scene she's in. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> really, I love the scene where she's explaining. Uh, to Nancy, like who Freddy Krueger is. I thought she was really good in that scene. And Krueger was free just like that. <laughs> yeah, it's very whispery. Yeah, I think I think the problem is that she's overacting. She's not really acting. I mean, she's not like hamming it up or anything. She's just kind of like, I don't know. Well, I guess she is hamming it up a little bit. But uh, um, Or how about the it, scene where she says, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to get her some help. <laughs> or she goes, what are dreams anyway? 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm not seeing it. She I'm reminds not me a bit the, of uh, the badness. She reminds me a bit of um, like a lower rent. Uh, what's her, Virginia Madsen a little bit? Mm. Looks wise, yeah. Mm. Yeah, looks wise. I mean, even um, even. Uh, I think what? I was, I was going to say even her mannequin at the end it doesn't act very well when it's when when it's just sunk into the bed and the hand comes up. I think the mannequin did a better job. Like that, well, the mannequin, that mannequin, what? and also her skeleton as well in the bed. Are the, are the mannequin that's pulled through the door? Yes, the well, that door. as well. That was uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I'm not sure if that's a mannequin. I think that was a real person. <laughs> you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, that would be my biggest complaint with the first Nightmare on Elm Street is when it got to the end, I almost felt like they didn't know exactly how to end that film. Mm, and yeah. to me, I love Nancy standing up to Freddy and realizing what can actually defeat him. And to have her at the end, I guess still, well, I mean, we all know she's back in part three, so she didn't die. But she still kind of looks like she's fallen victim to him at the end. And I was that kind of negates the fact that she finally knew what took away his power. I don't know. The ending just kind of fell a little underwhelming for me and almost like they just wanted the last shock scare or something, but I'm going to chalk. What do you guys, what is your interpretation of the ending? I always thought that when Freddie uh, defeated or when she defeated Freddie, that was it. But I thought the ending was like, she still has nightmares about it, but none that will kill her because, you know, I mean, she's back in part three. I think the ending was just done as because they decided they wanted a shock ending onto the twist. I don't think there was much thought went into it because Wes Craven didn't want that ending, did he? He wanted no. He wanted ending. it to be all a dream for basically yeah. Nancy to walk out into the sunshine, and you know none of it ever happened. Mm. But then Robert Shea wanted a shock ending that was sort of the norm at the time. Mm. I did it's, love it's, the fact, though, that the mom's an alcoholic through the whole movie. I mean, she's completely uh, takes a drink constantly in that whole film. She has bottles of alcohol hidden. Justin. But at the end, I love that she goes, you know, I'm going to stop drinking. I just don't feel like it anymore. I'm like, not, if it was that easy. Not Justin, know? yeah. <laughs> Hashtag <Yeah>. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag based on Justin. <laughs> Hashtag fuck but, you. But, <gasps> I love the rhyme. I think the, the Freddy rhyme is, is neat. And, and I, I like Heather Langenkamp as the heroine. I, I really like her as Nancy. I love that character. And um, I actually, we actually met Heather at a convention, and she was really, really nice. Good oh, yeah, she me. was wonderful. Mm. That's good to hear. But that's do, it. I love it. Do any of you um, uh, Nancys have a fondness for Johnny Depp in this movie with his nice little crop top and boyish good looks? Well, he was quite handsome, wasn't he? For the yeah, time. he is. Hmm. He just in this. remarkably young, doesn't he? But I suppose he would do. Yeah, but I think he's in his, his mid to late twenties in this, is he? I'll have to check his date of birth. Yeah, hmm. I think he had that Ralph Macchio kind of. Um, yeah, I'm 35, but I look 14. Right. Okay. Joseph, your thoughts on Nightmare on Elm Street? Um. Yeah, I think I would agree with you, Eric, because um, it's it's a movie that it's obviously a wonderful film, but you know, oversaturation's kind of taking the sheen out of it a little bit. Um, the one thing I do like about Nightmare on Elm Street is that, um, obviously these these kids are isolated because they're asleep in their beds when they get attacked. So, but I think this film really really does does that kind of conceit really well. Like, especially the scene where Rod is killed in the jail cell because he's basically trapped in there and he's asleep where Freddy can get him. So it's like, kind of like a double thing. Like, uh, 
you know, he's he, he's he's in dreamland where he's vulnerable, but he's also behind bars where he can't get out even if he were to wake up. So it's kind of a it adds a, another layer of suspense, as it were. Um, I really do love uh, Robert England here as Freddie before he became, you know, Rodney Dangerfield with knives. Um, <laughs> that's not a knock against Rodney Dangerfield because I like Rodney Dangerfield, but uh, I, I, I like Freddie better in the shadows. His, uh, his one-liners here are more gallows humor than kind of, you know, stand-up comedian humor. Um, so I really appreciate that. Uh, if I had a flaw with the film, other than the, the kind of tacked-on ending, is that I think, um, you know, it's shock, surprise, I think Heather Langenkamp is kind of flat and bland here um, as a final girl. I think, uh, what's her name? Is it Tina, the blonde? Mm. Yeah, I think she's a more interesting character. I, I tend to find the spunky best friends or the or the bitch characters to be far more interesting than the the leads in these slasher films. You know, there's a few exceptions to the rule, but in Nightmare on Elm Street, there's there's no exception to this rule. I think uh, Heather Langenkamp's just kind of boring. I think everyone else kind of overshadows her, especially you know, um, you know her friend, and uh, obviously especially Robert England as the terrifying Freddy. Um, but yeah, overall, I think, you know, it it really is a wonderful film. It has some great, you know, for the time, special effects. Um, I do like, uh, I do like all the characters, like I said. I, I kind of agree with Justin and Eric that uh, the mother character is kind of over the top. Um, and like Eric said, John Saxon, he's, he's a little too, he's a little too abrasive. Like, like he's so disbelieving that it kind of makes you angry. You're like, now come on. Any 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 half wit would see something is going on here, but uh, th- those aren't enough, you know, to kind of damp to to dampen my you know appreciation for the film. Um, I do think um, I I I think I enjoy the second film a little more because it's just so 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 uh, kind of it has so much subtext and it's so uh, subversive. Um, I think it really built on uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, so that's probably like a minority opinion, but. Um, yeah, overall, a, a big thumbs up from me on A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, like you said, Eric, it, you can't really watch it anymore because I've seen it like a, a million times. So it's never going to have that, you know, that first watch sheen or even those first 30 watches. But uh, yeah, still definite thumbs way up for me. Excellent. Now, Justin, I have a vague me- me- uh, recollection of you saying this was the first film you saw in the cinema, the first horror film you saw in the cinema. That's right. Yes, I've mm. talked about that. Uh, a number of times so and I won't dwell on it but yes that was it was the first film I've, do you know when it was released in the UK and, I'm, I'm, I'm um, thinking 19 it was uh, got a BBFC certificate in March of 85 so it would have been yeah. after that yeah that's what I was thinking it didn't come out in, in the States until November 84 did it and it's that yeah. usual mm. kind of six months back then to films across the Atlantic yeah um, so I would have been 16 um, and we, we snuck in well we got smuggled in by someone who knew one of the ushers and uh they got in trouble but anyway i remember watching it it is the film it's for me it's uh um you know a cornerstone of my love of the subgenre really just because it was say it was the first um slasher horror movie i saw at the cinema um you know and i was too young to see to catch you know the highlights of uh you know the the the, the few years before that so it was it, it was thrilling and exhilarating and i can still actually remember uh, you know, watching it in the cinema, and I've spoken before about hearing people hitting the the sound of lots of people's heads whacking against the back wall when Freddie jumped up from behind the bed. 
Um, I also remember uh, seeing this on film, it must have been film 84 or film 95, which is the the, um, uh, the TV programme that kind of the review films uh, on the BBC here. And they showed a clip at the end um, of the scene where Freddie jumps through the, I think the chase scene and Freddie jumps through the, um, the glass. And it was at the time when the film came out, um, and again, I remember seeing clipping in the paper of saying about how surprising it was that a horror movie which by this point that had pretty much run out of steam as a as a genre or subgenre had made so much money and was such a success in the states and so being very excited about it before i got to see it and it was such a thrill so but coming back to the film itself and watching it again i do love it but again it's 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 quite difficult to keep attention on it because i know it so well um that I find myself, my mind wandering because I know exactly what's going to happen. You know, I can pretty much recite a lot of the dialogue while I'm watching it. So I've seen it so many times now that unfortunately it has lost some of its power. So I was trying to watch it this time, um, trying to, with you know, trying to remove that kind of familiarity that I've got with the film. Uh, I, and things that picked out this time that I hadn't really before was, again, was the, the, the acting was kind of broader. I mean, it was all good apart from Ronnie Blakely which I, I still think um, she was very entertaining but it was you know pretty horrendous performance um, but it, all the acting was slightly over the top I thought Heather Langenkamp was a, a kind of oscillated between being very very good and being extremely convincing as a teenage girl which obviously not much of a push for her but um, and then sometimes her performance you know you could see kind of cracks in it where she wasn't maybe quite as accomplished um i do think when you go to films like part three and the new nightmare she's uh, she unfortunately she's not as lovely as she is she's not a great actress and um i think she was less convincing in the later films than she was in this one um but i do love the fact that freddie um you know you don't see him to start off with he's scary he's he's got these you know his um humor is genuinely nightmarish rather than cartoonish and i think that's the difference between um what happened in the well from the second film onwards and as much as i love the second film i don't think it's it's a very different film to the first um because there's quite a lot of dark angles to this obviously the idea of a child murderer you know killing 20 children in a you know, is of course going to leave scars on any community. But things which weren't necessarily said, like for instance, Tina was said to be 15 years old in this, which would mean that um, that her boyfriend was, you know, technically raping her, wasn't wasn't he? Or she was a child and things like that. There was kind of underlying sense of, not sleaze, but kind of um, unease and uh, oddness, which is very typical, I think, with, with Wes Craven films anyway. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it was, um, you know, it, it was, it's a, it's very accomplished um, work taking on the kind of quite tired by that point teen slasher movie and turning it on its head, but what all this all the same time uh, satisfying as a teen slasher movie. Uh, uh, yeah, and I think this is very, very definitely a slasher movie because I've seen some people almost deny that this is a slasher movie and one of those probably would be Wes Craven himself I imagine um but uh yeah I, I still love it it's just I wish I could wipe my memory and watch it again you know fresh uh but it's you know some films we can we I kind of watch every year or every couple of years and 
I've forgotten it enough to to be able to watch it with a, a sense of freshness. But I think this film is so ingrained on my on my memory throughout the years that it's it's almost impossible to do do so. But uh, um, yeah, it's a thumbs up for me. It's a um, it's a great film. Yeah, I, I I have the same problem. It was it was I was struggling to sort of you know keep my attention focused on the film because as you said it's just so familiar with what was going to happen next you know almost as you said reciting the dialogue as well mm. um you know which is a shame um because i mean films like friday the 13th i can well i haven't watched it since we did the podcast on it a few years back but uh, I, I imagine i'd probably have the same familiarity with that one maybe it's more rewatchable i'm not sure um would you I have would the same say, problem yeah. with halloween I think the, the Friday the 13th films, they're more simplistic, so they're kind of more background noise that you could just kind of watch and just kind of mm-hmm. lounge. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street's so layered, so after you've, you know, after you've kind of, after all that's sunk in, you really don't want to kind of, you know, follow all the layers again, because it's, I guess it's a lot of work. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm articulating myself here, but there's a couple things I wanted to mention. I, I find it very amusing how freddy krueger is this child murderer and he became such like a a beloved icon throughout you know especially in the united states and you know people praising a child murderer i think that's kind of funny um another thing i wanted to mention um that i forgot about was that i really like in the dream sequences here um especially in this first film um they really you know how in, in like if you're having a nightmare and you're trying to run from something you're kind of sluggish and you can't really pick up any momentum mm. i think they really captured that here especially in the in the opening scene with uh, uh tina being chased because she's just kind of she's not really running she's not even jogging she's just barely moving i think that's um they did a really good job of kind of capturing that whole dream uh atmosphere that way that stuff that happens in dreams typically and um I don't think any of us mentioned the uh, tongue through the phone bit. I really love that bit. Oh, that's yeah. A, that's a classic image. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I would agree with you about that. Sort of the, the dream logic is, is good in there. I mean, some of the effects, as I said, were looking hokey. And I mean, that mannequin through the door at the very end, was it meant to look that hokey or... I don't, I don't know. know. I, 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 yeah, I can never get it, really. It's, the problem is, I think it's the editing. is like they did a straight-on shot rather than kind of cutting... It, cutting might have made it look a little, um, a little more believable, but they did that straight-on shot, on, it's probably on like a tripod or something. So you see how flimsy and just kind of mannequin-esque it really is. Mm. It could have used some like definite editing because it really looks very, very hokey. Mm. Uh, I've just looked up the Johnny Depp's IMDb. He was actually only 21 when he filmed this. Apologies, Johnny, for insinuating you were older. I'll call him and tell him that you're sorry. Yeah. Um, Justin, do you have a clip there of Freddie's unprocessed voice? Because on the DVD and Blu-ray, there are sort of behind-the-scenes shots, and obviously they've processed Freddie's voice to make it a couple of octaves deeper and more uh, ominous. But I mean, his his onset vocal performance is less than threatening, yes. uh, certainly in hindsight. Okay, here we go. This is God gonna get you. Look. All better for me, <laughs> but not for you. Yeah, I'm glad they 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 deoctivated <laughs> him. Yes. He sounds like he sounds like Kenneth Williams almost. It's us a bit <laughs> because there's a there's a part in um uh, uh what's that movie uh, Adventures of Ford Fairlane with uh, Andrew Dice Clay where he uh, Robert England plays a villain and he's doing that kind of British accent so he sounds exactly like that. <laughs> Yeah, this, I wonder if they thought about going with him like that on 
Mm. I mean, it's not the first time, is it? They've changed things because they did the kind of really redubbed the the house mother, didn't they, in um, House on Sorority Row, because mm. her voice wasn't threatening enough. Mm. Um, and I mentioned earlier they, um, that for different reasons, they completely redubbed Hellraiser. What I was talking about earlier, um, just to make it give them American accents instead of British ones. Because mm-hmm. there is a trailer out there with the original British accents on it, and it sounds completely different. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, it sounds right. completely different, but it has a completely different feel. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, no, that's interesting. I didn't. I didn't watch the behind the scenes because there's. Is there a big documentary? Isn't there? Like, um, I, I've got it actually. I think Never the, Sleep Again. That's there's the Never Sleep Again, which I didn't get around to watching. Uh, although, <gasps> um, uh, well, well, I have it, but uh, it's an excellent documentary. It covers all. Uh, it covers. I don't think it cover the remake. It cover, certainly covers up to Freddy versus Jason. Have, mm. You have seen it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely. Oh yeah, brilliant. it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird because I prefer the um, the the Friday the Thirteenth films, but I find the documentary on A Nightmare on Elm Street is a lot better than the documentary on the Friday the Thirteenth mm, by, by the same people. I would agree. I would agree yeah. wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think the, one of the problems with the Friday the Thirteenth one is that it, it it's done in conjunction with the Crystal Lake Memories book. So if you've read the book, you're, you a lot of the stories you're hearing again. Whereas the Nightmare on Elm Street one was, uh, as all a lot of it was fresh new information to me. Mm. Ooh, okay. Um, okay, who wants to hear my joke of the week? Oh, <gasps> yes. Okay, it's a goodie. Mm-hmm. Why did Why did Rod Lane have to close down his Indian restaurant? No, anyone? I don't know. Because he had no curry. Nick Curry, no curry. <laughs> It sounds like no curry. Eric, even by your own standards, that's um, hashtag fail. <laughs> I'm, I'm very hashtag disappointed in you, Eric. Oh. I need you to. I need. I need to see you in, in the HR office after the show. I love that Eric laughed because normally he would get defensive over that, but I think even he believed what Justin just said, so <laughs> he just laughed about it. Yes. Mm. Well, thank you, so, Eric. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll keep going. Okay. Will we go to behind the scenes? I know we don't usually do much information on these sort of bigger titles because they're well known. But does anyone have any behind the scenes they want well, to before share? Before we do behind the scenes, I just want to say I love the scene where she runs into the girl in the hallway. And oh, the, yeah. And the girl's voice turns to Freddy because I think that scene's actually very creepy. The first time you watch it, that'd be a very, like, creepy scene. And that girl, she's like, she's kind of creepy looking herself. She reminds me a bit of Susie in a way. <gasps> oh, <laughs> Joseph. Justin, that should be a compliment. Doesn't Susie want to look creepy? Yeah, she does, doesn't she? Being a she's goth like goth, gothish. Yeah. See, Eric, I can stick up for you sometimes. Well, you, you didn't you. You know, on that private thread, did you? <laughs> you said the most offensive thing about Toya. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was pretty bad. I, I, yeah. even, even I thought that was bad. Yes. Mm. But I didn't um, mean it, Eric. I didn't mean it. Actually, talking of people in this, obviously the um, somebody who's been in a lot of uh, New Line films because she's married to Bob Shea was uh, Lynn Shea, who was mm. obviously recently um, found kind of um, well fame, kind of uh, in a in a wider context in the um, Insidious movies. But uh, mm-hmm. here she's she's in that quite long classroom scene, isn't she? Yeah. Um, I, I love Lynn Shea. 
along with, yeah. uh, is it Don Hanna or Dan Hanna? I can't remember, but it's Daryl Hanna's brother who stands up and does the reading from oh, is Shakespeare. That okay, mm. yeah. Although he looks a bit more like Kevin Bacon, if you ask me. Mm. I like that, that that scene. I thought was really, again, the way that that worked with that dream kind of uh, things is, you know, that, it, how dreams work and how kind of how things can seem completely logical in a dream but when you mm. if you remember the next day you're thinking that didn't make any sense but in the dream you don't usually question the logic or whatever happens within it but i like that scene where he kind of gets up and he's a really he's reading really badly isn't he but mm. then when it cuts back to him he's kind of he's speaking in a really creepy voice and it's just like touches like that which i thought uh, um were very good yeah and like tina being dragged along in the body bag is still a creepy image one thing yes. I uh, yeah. I one thing I like about Nightmare on Elm Street that I can identify with is because I suffer from a sleep paralysis, so I often have those uh, those visions of really weird things in the room and things trying to attack you. So uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street films, for better or worse, they kind of you know hit home with me in a in a on a certain level because I I've had that condition since I was a kid. Mm. Oh, I have it a lot. I had one where have you guys ever had sleep paralysis, Eric and Justin? No, once. Oh, I've had it it's, once. It's it's very scary because one of the times I was lying on the couch and you know you wake up and like your eyes are open but you can't move, you mm. know, because your body's still asleep, and so I mean you're kind of dreaming but you're kind of not. And my eyes are open and I can hear somebody like trying to get in through the back door of my house but I can't move. So I'm just sitting there. It's actually very terrifying Mm. until you, you know, eventually you try to just convince yourself, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, just go back to sleep. But it's really hard to convince yourself of that when you're in the middle of something like that. Yeah, you're stuck halfway between REM and a waking state. And one of the worst ones I ever had was this guy with a really big, like, nose. He just kind of had this freaky face. He was, like, right up in my face, and he was, like, grinning. And he just kept going, (laughs) and I just, like, I was, like, Closing my eyes, like, okay, go away, go away, go away, go away. And finally, my body just jolted um, out of the, the state. But, man, it was terrifying. Uh, you woke up and Justin was gone. Yeah, Justin was gone. <laughs> well, I had it. I did have it once when I was, I I'd kind of woke up and the radio alarm was going off. And um, and I, I've, exactly that, my eyes were open, I couldn't move. And, um, and then Toya came on the radio and I couldn't turn it off and it was I knew it was terrifying like this it was terrifying it was it was the worst experience of my life so I had to I was lying there and I had to listen to the whole of um I want to break free it was it was the worst that's experience a, that's of my a song life. by Queen actually oh yes it was what's the one to I want to be I want to be free I want to be free okay kind of fitting that you yeah because you you really do want to be free I do want to break free but mm-hmm. um but yes, no. But I have that. I uh, no, I have, have had it once, and that was quite um, scary. But um, Eric, have you you never gone stiff in the night? No, <laughs> never, never. I have ever. it like I have it like at least two at least two times a week. Really? Gosh. Yeah. That's I have to sleep on my uh, my left side. If I sleep on my back or on my right side or on my stomach, I have it. So I always sleep on my left side, so I won't get it. But sometimes I'll, I'll <laughs> sometimes I'll t- <laughs> sometimes I'll tip over in the night on my back, and, and then there's crazy crazy men in my room trying to defile me. Right. Well, that's a typical Friday night for Eric, I imagine. <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of typical Friday nights for Justin, 
Um, Heather Langenkamper refers to a deleted scene um, where she and Johnny Depp were having a kiss and she says the reason it was probably cut was because it looked a bit cheesy and stiff, which is probably something that Justin sees every day. Pardon? Nothing! <laughs> oh, Eric. Um, Justin, don't you want to tell people about your nightmare? Your, uh, your arm? Oh, yes. I put, I put it up on, um, oh, yeah. on Facebook, on the, on the Facebook group. I woke up this morning with um, scratch marks, like um, five little scratch marks on my arm in like a, like a little razor, like Freddy Claws, but also actually look a little bit like Cat's Claws as well. So I think it's probably more likely that was that. But it seems a bit of a strange coincidence, considering we were uh, covering this today. So, so if we all start dying one by one... Um, and, uh, yeah, if, you know, if Eric suddenly gets a, a geyser of fluid f- flying at his face. <laughs> then, <laughs> which do we want to talk about Friday the, night. Uh, <laughs> uh, no one's mentioned this yet, but do we want to talk about the, 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 the similarities between, um, Freddie's weapon here. And then obviously in films like the demon and girls night out where they both use kind of similar weapons mm. before this was popular in the nightmare on Elm street. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of it is it is curious, isn't it? Because there's um, there's also in I can't remember if it's um, if it's Death Walks in High Hills or the other one, uh, yeah. Death Walks at Midnight, where the, uh, the the killer in one scene uses a spiked glove. Um, isn't also, that a ba- didn't a Bava film did that? Didn't it? Blood and Black Lace. Yes, yeah, he's got, he right. does that as well. So mm-hmm. with this, but again, the the claws. Well, in um, Girls Night Out, which uh, originally, I think it was it was made in eighty one or eighty two, wasn't it? Uh, so it obviously predates this by a number of years. And the demon, I think it was made in seventy nine or eighty. Seventy nine. Yeah. So that kind of predates it by uh, you know in quite a um, quite a big way. It's so, it's kind of weird because you you kind of wonder. You know, Wes Craven went on to talk about how he got this inspiration from nightmares he used to have about a bully who used to pick on him as a kid. Hmm. And um, you kind of wonder if he actually, you know, got the idea for the knives by seeing these films or if it, it just kind of popped into his head randomly and it was just a big coincidence. Hmm. Well, I think, I think um, Wes Craven's uh, a, a very clever businessman as well, as well as a filmmaker. Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure that he, you know, if, if, you know, he would rather probably be making um, movies like that fountain of whatever it was what was that the music of the heart music of the heart that's the one yeah um so those kind of films rather than making um cheesy slasher horror movies uh as good as some of them are and of course films like deadly friends are pretty awful uh <gasps> well Wes oh Craven, it's true joseph yeah Wes <gasps> Craven, no. Wes Craven does tend to make a good movie and then a bad movie doesn't he he's he's very mm-hmm. he's probably one of the, the least consistent directors I think, mm. um, but because uh, there was that rumours of him falling out, wasn't there, with Kevin Williamson? Uh, but I saw that. Um, did you did you read about that about Scream Five and Six? From what again, I understand, the more I read about it, the more Kevin Williamson just kind of comes off as a dick. Because um, Wes Craven, everything I've ever read, you know, kind of indicates he's this humble, genial guy, and then. Uh, Kevin Williamson, apparently they had this falling out and everything I've read on him, he just seems like, uh, well, they don't want, they don't want to pay me for this. So, you know, we can't reach an agreement. And then Wes Craven's like, I really do want to make the movies, but we're just kind of 
find out who's going to be the writer, et cetera, et cetera. So it, I don't know. Kevin Williamson kind of sounds like he's a jerk. I don't know. Well, I saw a tweet from um, Wes Craven saying that uh, Kevin Williamson is a genius and he'd work with him again in a heartbeat. And then uh, Kevin Williamson rep um, replied by saying he was kind of humbled by that, blah, blah. So whether or not there was a spat or not. Um, but I think it's the more the, the, the bigger reason why they didn't make Scream 5 is because um, Scream 4 was a relative failure wasn't it yeah it kind of kind of very very underperformed i mm. think it did really well overseas but uh in the states no it didn't do very good at all mm. um yeah i guess you really can't believe everything you read on on the internet so who really knows why they haven't made uh scream five and six but i do know they are making that tv series which neither have anything to do with no well it's kind of the i read the the mtv they they've already shot the pilot so i don't know how it works do, who's do flying the plane Aaron <laughs> Black. That's my joke of the week. Uh, <laughs> Eric. Um, <laughs> so, oh, well, let's move on to background for. Uh, okay, well, just um, before we move on to background, oh, yeah. happy birthday to Wes Craven, who was 75 yesterday. Yes. Oh, happy birthday. Doesn't look yeah. 75. No. Because I'm, uh, I'm one of the few any, people. Sorry? So I was going to say, I was going to, talking about his bad movies, I, I remember we spoke about this, but I'm one of the few people who quite liked that. Um, uh, Are you about to say my soul to take? Yes. Oh. What? Oh. It was mm -hmm. Justin. <laughs> Justin. Justin. Well, I kept on hearing. I kept you on hearing how awful it was. You sit there and say Deadly Friend is bad. No, I kept on, I went, to, I saw Deadly Friend at the cinema. But, um, I don't hate Deadly Friend. I, I haven't seen it since I saw it at the cinema back in about 1980. Six, seven, was it? Um, but it uh, is bad, but I think it's fine. Yeah, but I thought my soul to take. Not um, is it? No, yes, it was all right. You know, I didn't think it was as bad as everyone was making out. Justin, mm. yeah, you are the new Nathan. <laughs> well, Nathan, <laughs> what do you think? I think Nathan's gone. Nathan has gone. Nathan has left the the building, or is he just? We still on the on the call, so maybe just gone for a week. I'm here. I was muted because oh, I was working. Okay. Oh. So, what um, am I sold to take? Mm. I did not really care much for it when I first saw it. I might mm. can rewatch it now, and maybe my opinion would change. But I, when I first saw it, I just kind of thought it was a little too nonsensical. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't make head nor tail of what was going on. Of course, we have to remember we watched it with uh, Greg, so maybe our our opinion was tainted. Look at you all. Oh, suddenly Justin likes the movie. Oh, maybe we should go back and reassess it. Hashtag Inga. Yes. I think I say that a lot. Then I well, should I'm reassess always it. And Eric, I can. like all the movies you like, Eric, so. Mm. Yeah, get off the high horse, Inga. Ooh. Hashtag go sit in the corner and cry. Mm. Nobody puts me in the corner. <laughs> Hashtag you carried a watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> right. Justin, do you have any behind the scenes for? I, well, I suppose I lost Joseph and Nathan first, but I, I'm thinking I might get the patented no. No. <laughs> the only thing I remember is not really behind the scenes, but I remember um, my brother and my dad going to see the film, and they were going to take me, and there, and the the studio, or the theater person was like, uh, "No, we've been told uh, we can't allow children in to see the film." And it's like, and my dad was like, yeah, but I'm his father. I'm his legal guardian. They're like, nope. So they had to take me home, and then they went back to see the movie without me. 
Oh, but no. I thought I thought R-rated movies you were allowed in. You are, you are, but for some reason uh, they just would not let me in to this oh. movie when I was a kid. So I remember I didn't see any of the Elm Street films at the theater until part five, because yeah, I saw part five at the theater, <laughs> which was terrible. And then I saw Freddy versus Jason, and then a new nightmare at the theater. But I didn't. didn't How get old were you when I saw the first the first one? Yeah, when you were going to go to the theater and watch it, and they wouldn't let like, you in. I was like nine or ten. Oh, okay, would you have talked through the movie like a lot of kids do? No, because I because I, I went to okay. see I went to see Gremlins around the same year, um, and I was quiet the whole time. Because these people brought their you know, in the they're about six or seven maybe they brought them to watch the purge anarchy i thought that was kind of odd mm-hmm. but you know, were the whatever. kids quiet what's funny the kids were quiet their parents weren't <laughs> <laughs> interesting yes justin do you have any behind the scenes i have got quite a bit um but i was obviously again because it's kind of a, a film that's been dissected lots and lots written about it and i know with these bigger titles, we, you know, there's a lot to be said, but it's already been said. So I kind of, I, I looked at the Variety archives to actually have a look kind of how it all kind of came together, the film, because I think it was widely accepted that um, Wes Craven wrote the script in 1981, didn't he? Because he he wanted to get a piece of the action, basically the slasher uh, action, because he, he felt that he'd... Um, Partly, essentially, um, uh, was uh, you know one of one of the people who helped create the slasher movie with um, Last House on the Left. Although, arguably, that's not a slasher movie. It's, I don't actually think it is a slasher movie. But anyway, um, working obviously, Sean Cunningham had got his uh, piece of the pie with Friday Thirteenth in nineteen eighty, and I think uh, you know uh, Wes Craven thought he de- he deserved. Um, his piece. So, but I think it was by 1981. Although it was the apex of the slasher movies, like as we know, like The Burning, Happy Birthday to Me, um, Friday Thirteenth Part Two. A lot of the films being released in 1981 were actually underperforming, uh, and so um, I think that's poss- possibly why Wes Craven found it difficult to get the film made. He couldn't get any interest out of the majors. So. Uh, but I think New Line um, was uh, going to be. Um, I found sort of details saying from October 1982 uh, was saying that um, uppermost on the shooting slate is Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, which um, is uh, is going to be uh, begin shooting in January 1983, uh, which obviously didn't do. It, it shot a little bit later. Um, what else did they see? I think it started shooting actually in May the 1st in Southern California uh, in 1984. Um, and um, I found a fun quote from, from Wes Craven where he says, he says uh, uh, Craven calls his recent films humanistic horror. He says, I've never made slasher films. So do we think uh, that's accurate? Would you say, or do you think he was being... Well, I mean, obviously he made Scream, which is a typical yeah. slasher film. But uh, Hills of Ice he... Part Two is a very slasher yeah. film. Yeah, I, I think other than those, his I don't think he's really tackled like a full-on slasher before. Mm-hmm. But I think it was kind of, uh, to my mind, he saw that statement kind of um, means he kind of is looks was looking down on the slasher movie at that point. Uh, I, I don't was know if eight, still... by the way. I'm sorry. Okay. 
But I don't, I, don't, I don't know whether or not he still feels like that. But he says, he just goes on to say, um, he says, soft-spoken and almost wraith-like, Craven says, when people meet me, they expect Charles Manson. Um, obviously, he's not, he's not like that. Uh, I mean, I've got loads of other um, background stuff, bits and pieces, but Eric, but I imagine... Uh, okay, I'll just run before, through a few. Yeah. Before you get in there, Eric, mm, Justin, yeah. do, you have anything, do you have anything like on the, um, the, the box office? Because uh, I've read different like, accounts. Obviously, the IMDb is never really fully factually correct, but mm. I, I'm reading that it was like the budget was like $1.8 and then it only grossed like $1.2 on its opening weekend, and then, but the overall gross was only like $26 million. That's what I'm getting as well. I, okay. think the, I think the overall gross was something like around about 26 million, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you probably, because it's, we've spoken about this before, is because back then the way they collected the the box office, if you look at the box office tallies, they're very, very low for many of these films. I mean, um, uh, you know, Hell Knight, for instance, would have made about a million dollars at the box office or less than a million. And a lot of these films films did so or 26 million doesn't sound like much but in today's money and adjusted um it was probably you know probably closer to 80 or 90 million possibly mm-hmm. yeah in today's, I'd, say so, the, I'd say the 1.8 million dollar budget is probably more like a half a million today yeah well well i think the i think that's what i saw it they said it was about 1.8 million uh dollar budget so um i mean it doesn't look like a low budget film does it no, I mean it's it's very 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 pristine and well shot and put together. So mm-hmm. it looks much high. It looks about a ten like a ten million dollar budget film you'd see you know today. Mm-hmm. So Eric, do you want to give some background? And I'll, yeah, I'll try and um, well, in terms of the dates it was filmed and the behind the scenes footage, all the clapperboards give dates of June and July in 1984. So it, you know it's feasible it started filming in May, which is quite close to its release date, which was. Um, 9th of November 1984, which was this, it opened the same weekend as Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm. And uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night actually took in more money on that opening weekend, but that's because it was on more screens. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street opened on 165 screens and Silent Night, Deadly Night on 398. Um, and I mean, when you look at its, um, its chart performance in the box office from back then, I mean, it never really rose higher than sort of seventh or eighth in the charts, which is which was bizarre to me because I always had it in my head that this was sort of a monster runaway hit. I mean, which it was compared to its budget, I suppose, but it, it certainly wasn't, you know, Avatar. Um, did you know that Charlie Sheen was one of the contenders for the role of Glenn? I only found this out this morning. I listened to one. Of, <laughs> when you to, said, did you know? I was like, oh no. <laughs> Were you expecting Alan Dale? Yes, I was, actually. No. no. Um, yeah, I was listening to one of the audio commentaries. Apparently, they had Charlie Sheen down to play. Um, to play Glenn, but uh, they couldn't afford him in the end. So they went with Johnny Depp. Uh, Nick Corey, uh, the subject of my hilarious joke from earlier, I think you'll all agree, uh, he was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor. This, uh, the Saturn Awards are specifically for sci-fi and horror movies. Um, I was surprised to see that. Uh, what was it? I was surprised to see somebody awful in the movie was nominated. Oh, Lorraine Gary was nominated for Best Actress in Jaws The Revenge in 1988. Uh, which shows how good these Saturn Awards are. But uh, Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street was also nominated as Best Movie, but lost out to Gremlins, actually. uh, Joseph, you're just mentioning that. The other films nominated that year were Firestarter, Dreamscape and Creature, which I thought was bizarre. That's the, um, uh, what was it, AKA Titan Find? 
Talk to that's violence. weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love dream. I love Dreamscape. That's more of like the action version of a Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the stop the stop motion stuff they do in that is just so Harryhausen and just so cheesy. I love it. Mm. Not to go off on a tangent there, but. <laughs> What well, when Freddy is throwing the things at the, at the window and t- wakes Tina up? Apparently, they're meant to be teeth. I didn't know that. Did anyone else? No, no, no. it's not. I thought it was pebbles, but it's supposed to be his teeth or, or someone's teeth. Um, the nurse at the dream clinic is played by Craven's ex-wife Mimi Craven. Apparently, she—we've uh, mentioned this before. She's the one who allegedly copped off with Sharon Stone while he was mm. making Deadly Blessing. Um, do you remember that story? Yes, she, yes. she copped off with Sharon Stone. What? He, Oh, she had um, intimate relations with Sharon Oh, yeah, Stone? yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Um, I'd believe r- that, actually. Mm. The rubber wall um, that uh, Freddy sort of bulges through whilst Nancy is asleep below is made from spandex, and it was all sourced from Justin's leotard collection. <laughs> that's true, actually. <laughs> is yes. it? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> See, that's how you deal with bullies. You just grin and nod, isn't it? Because you just encourage them otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Eric, well, you're incorrigible, and um, <laughs> it'd be very difficult to stop you. Mm, you're like a juggernaut. Yes. Um, there was a deleted scene, actually, in the film where, um, in Ronnie Blakely's wonderful monologue where she's explaining the backstory of Freddie to Nancy. But apparently Nancy had a sibling who was one of Freddie's victims that uh, Nancy had no idea about. Um, so that sort of makes it even more, this time, it's personal. Uh, the two, there were two scenes that required cuts from the MPAA. One was the Johnny Depp blood geezer, geyser, uh, and the scene uh, where Tina falls from the ceiling and lands in the ble- on the bed uh, with a big splat of blood. That they ordered that to be cut as well. Uh, the clarity of the Blu-ray made me realise that Tina has a Ernie from Sesame Street cookie jar in the back window of her porch, which I'd never noticed before. <laughs> There's an interesting little factoid for you. Yes. Um, what else do I have? Oh yeah, the red and the reason that Freddie's um, sweater is red and green. I've got two interesting sweater facts here. Uh, one is that um, Wes Craven had read that red and green are two of the most clashing colours you can possibly get, so he wanted something deliberately uh, gaudy, um, something like, like what Susie might wear. Um, mm-hmm. And also, <laughs> also this and this is a, are you ready for this fact. This is an astonishing fact. This is the uh, the first film, it's the only entry in the entire series where Freddy's sweater does not have stripes on the sleeves. Ah. There you go. In all the sequels, the sleeves are striped as well. It's no wonder people ask us to do commentaries. I know. Coming up with this wonderful <laughs> info. Oh, and one, la- the other, one other thing I'll mention, that I, I, one that I didn't realise, was that Robert Shea wanted to call the film Bad Dreams because he felt Nightmare on Elm Street was sounded a bit trashy and a bit B-movie-ish. Uh, but of course, that Bad Dreams then came out in 1988. It's kind of a mm, watchable enough movie with Jennifer Rubin. That's it. Yeah, um, and it's very similar uh, in tone to A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, it's obviously a sort of a, kind of trying to cash in, I suppose. Mm. Hmm. Now, Justin, do you want to take over? Uh, well, I've got a few other bits yeah. and pieces. Apparently, anything, um, anything as good as the sleeves. Um, probably not, but I'll oh. try my best. Okay. Um, David Warner, who lost his head in The Omen, um, apparently was signed up to play Freddy Krueger and then had to pull out because of scheduling conflicts. Um, oh. This Again, this is some of this is taken from IMDb, so I'm taking a pinch of salt. Um, also, the fact that apparently uh, Heather Langenkamp um, beat out 
200 actresses for the role of Nancy, and two of the ones she um, she beat out was uh, Courtney Cox and Demi Moore. Uh, I'm would be surprised if Demi Moore was Demi Moore famous in 1984. No, not really. Done, she was kind she'd of done Parasite. Oh uh, right, so maybe maybe she, she might have done this. She was just getting into the whole right before the whole Brat Pack movement. Hmm. Um, what else is there? Do, 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 do. They were talking. I think Heather talks about the um, you know, all the gunk they use on that that stair scene, didn't she? So it's like mushroom soup and all sorts of disgusting stuff. Bisquick, um, I heard, which apparently is a pancake mix. Yes, yes. Mm. Um, the reason Johnny Depp um, was chosen because apparently the producer's daughter thought he was dreamy. So <laughs> there you go. So basically, if he'd not, because he he turned up in. Um, uh, Freddie's dead, didn't he? As a little cameo, mm-hmm. uh, and by that point he was kind of the, a mega star, wasn't he? So it was quite nice that he went back. Uh, you know, he he tipped his hat uh, back to his kind of his start in horror, which I think was uh, um, was nice. Apparently, the originally Freddie Krueger was going to be a child molester rather than a child murderer, um, but apparently there was a, a rash of uh, in Los Angeles of. Um, uh, child molestation cases so in a rare uh sign of um good taste they decided to turn into a murderer instead of molester. Yeah, so. i would i would agree with that because i don't think freddie would have become such a icon if he had actually you know diddled the children rather than killed them in the mm. sequel he diddles them or not the sequel the remake he diddles them yeah. rather than kills them oh, really? that could have been that could have been another reason why that movie sucked so goddamn mm. bad Mm. Well, we'll talk about we'll talk about that in a minute, actually, because it'd be interesting to get your perspective on that. Um, uh, what else is there? Um, apparently, so Robert England said he based the phys- physicality of Freddy on Klaus Kinski's performance in um, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, the Vampire from 1979. I can uh, see that. Mm. And uh, he said, "Well, this is his reading, but he says in." Um, uh, he says on a DVD commentary that in his mind, the backstory for Freddie was based on something from his own childhood. On Valentine's Day, when England, England was in school, everyone in the class made Valentine's card for one another. But there was one boy who received no cards from anyone. England th- theorised that this boy went on to become Freddie. So there you go. <laughs> so, so that's as interesting as your fact. Kind of sounds like Ralph Wiggum. It sounds, does sound like Ralph Wiggum. Yeah, yeah. Miss Hoover? Um, I um, I chew, 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 Eric. <laughs> Everyone does. Join the queue, darling. <laughs> um, I, just when I was reading this, I have this book called The Nightmare Never Ends, The Official History of Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street Films. And it mm. says that uh, the makeup for Freddy Krueger was done by David Miller, who originally designed it for an English actor named David Warren, who was supposed to play Freddy before England was cast. Now, that could be a typo. It might be David Warner. But mm. it says Dave Warren here. Mm. Okay. So, so I can't just... find any information on a Dave Warren on IMDb, really. So, no. Well, I think um, originally um, Craven wanted a, a, a stunt man to play Freddy, mm. um, but they convinced him it, it, it needed a real actor because he's also apparently the makeup he wanted was like I sort of read he wanted like teeth sticking out and um, you know boils, pussy. He basically wanted uh, <laughs> Freddy to look like Toya. What pussy? Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, You're disgusting. Um, and uh, but anyway, they realised that because um, they were going to have like animatronic, because they had a little bit of animatronics, didn't they? With the when he rips his face off, yeah. Um, 
and also that um, uh, Ronnie Blakely's corpse waving like Lady um, Ronnie Di. Blakely. I Ronnie think Blakely. was an animatronic dummy all the way through. <laughs> yeah, she was. Um, um, what else have we got? Uh, do 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 do. Oh, of course the the link to, between Kruger. I think um, Wes Craven said that there was a bully when he was a child that was um, called Krug, which of course the the link to Last House on the Left is um, is uh, David Hess's character Krug in uh, in in that. So uh, in essence, what um, Wes Craven was kind of doing was taking. Uh, Last House on the Left, which was very successful, but it wasn't in no way could ever be really described as a popcorn movie, and taking those some of those elements and making it into his his populist slasher horror movie, which is something he very much wanted to uh, uh, to do. Um, it says here that Freddy Krueger was designed by Craven to be the typical silent serial killer, such as Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. Um, so I don't know whether or not if would it have worked if Freddie had not spoken. It um, might have. It, it would in the first one, yeah. I don't know if it would have spawned lots of sequels though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why is because uh, you know they saw him talking and he had all these clever lines. They they thought they could build off of that. Him being quiet, they probably wouldn't really know where to go with it. Mm-hmm. The other thing here, which is interesting, just going back to you saying about Charlie Sheen, and again, IMDb. You know, uh, it's you know, take a pinch of salt. But it says that other actors that were considered for the Glenn role were John Cusack, Brad Pitt, Kiefer Sutherland, Nicolas Cage, and C. Thomas Howell. Now, could you imagine Nicolas Cage being doing that? That would have been a very different take on it, I imagine. Mm. Um, Put the glove back in the box. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that's probably. It, oh, I was going to say, actually, the other thing I did see was um, uh, there's a video label in the UK, the preserts, which I've got quite a few of them still. They put out films like um, uh, The Black Cat and um, Zombie... No, is it which one? The Zombie... Uh, not Apocalypse, Zombie... Holocaust. Holocaust, yes, that's the one. Um, it's VTC, and they put out the gold video boxes um, and Superstition and other films like that. Now, apparently, they put up some of the money for this film and also... Uh, right at the beginning of it, it says Smart Egg Productions. Yeah. And Smart Egg were a Swedish company. Um, so it's a bit of a... It, the money, actually, to make it came from England and Sweden. And apparently Smart Egg reneged on their deal and pulled out. And the film very nearly didn't happen. Um, but uh, um, Bob Shea managed to uh, persuade them to put up $200,000 for the film eventually. Um, I think famously the there's the, the quip, isn't it, that New Line is that is the studio that Freddie built, or mm, you know, um, yeah. and because I think it's New Line, um, so New Line were basically uh, one step away from you know going under, uh, so they really needed Nightmare on Elm Street to be a hit, and it was a film. Now, of course, they you know it's all the Lord of the Rings is that's all New Line, isn't it? I believe. Yes. So, so they're you know they're, they're big players now. Um, so again, they were saved from bankruptcy by Freddie. You know, and Johnny Depp's career was was launched by Nightmare on Elm Street. So, um, Ronnie Blakely's um, career was sunk <laughs> by a Nightmare on Elm Street, probably. So there was lots of you know lots of stuff going on here. Um, I think uh, there's there's lots of other stuff on on. Um, on uh, IMDb, so go and have a look at that. And obviously, you've got the documentaries, but uh, 
But I think maybe, shall we have a chat about the remake? Because I still haven't seen it, and I did try and watch it, and I said before we came on air that um, I it was free to watch on Amazon Prime, uh, and then they, when I went to watch it, they'd um, it wasn't free anymore. They'd obviously um, run out of their licensing deals, so it was like something like six ninety nine to watch it, and I I couldn't bring myself to do so. So oh. I still, so I still no, haven't I th- seen it. So I think what we've said before is mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, still rings true. Is that my problem is not necessarily with you know them recasting Freddy. It's just that they have this budget. They have, you know, I hate CGI, but, you know, CGI kind of lends itself to this dream world. But everything is so bland and so just lifeless. Mm, that's it completely. Um, I mean, the kids in it are kind of likable, I suppose. Um, and, you know, as Joseph was saying, I mean, they have everything going for them now. It's all the CGI they can use, but they just don't use it properly. Um, it's just so boring. And, and Freddie is cast as a kiddie fiddler in this one rather than a child killer. Uh, so the film feels quite dark and grim, I think, but also a bit dull and unimaginative. Yeah, it's very unimaginative. Mm. And there's a scene in it where the, the where Freddy presses through the wall through Justin Spandex. Uh, they do that in the remake uh, with CGI, and it just looks exactly like it looks like an outtake from the haunt. It's the haunting remake. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Mm. Um, it just and of course, there's that whole thing with a uh, is it Rooney Mara who said that, you know, she. After the film, it was kind of like a disappointment at the box office. She's like, oh, well, I never really wanted to do it anyway. And there's all these people who really actually wanted to do the film. And she thought she was better because she got cast in all those, uh, uh, I guess it was the girl, the dragon tattoo films or whatever it was. Mm. Mm. Which bombed as well, didn't it? Oh, she's in social, wasn't she in social network as well? Which mm. I b- believe so. Did quite but well. Basically, the point is she became like any other actor. She She got to... You know, she became famous, so she kind of de- derided the film. I can I can understand her deriding the film for it being a piece of shit, but not for you know thinking you're better than that. Mm. Well, she was kind of going off about the genre in general, I think, because I think she says stuff like, um, "It was something about the material and having a lot of issues with the material in the film, and it, most of the time struggling with whether she should do this or not." and Stuff like that. It just came off very pious and, you know, I'm very, very much better than this. Hmm. Eric's very pious. He's eating, he's eating some pious right now. <laughs> mm. oh, pious. Sacrilegious. Sacrilegious. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, are we... And, is that, and the Haunting remake was fine. I don't know why you guys <gasps> want to match oh, that. Nice um thing. No, I actually quite like the Haunting remake. Um, and as far as the Nightmare on Elm Street remake goes, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I didn't hate it, but I just thought it was kind of meh. Hashtag meh. Hmm. Yep. I keep on... I watched the trailer today for the remake, and the trailer actually makes it look quite good. Yeah, so much the trailer is actually good. Yeah. Um, it makes it look quite exciting. And um, what I will say about the remake is, it has, does have a fantastic final shot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it does a really, really like spectacular final shot, but the the rest of it is yeah. Mm. Ooh, okay. Well, I shall try and watch it again. I've got um, we've I've got Howling Two, Your Sister's a Werewolf to watch tonight. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love that. 
That's okay, a good so movie. It's a fun movie rather than a good movie, sorry. Yeah. Yes, but it's yeah. a lot of fun, isn't it? So, yeah, we've got we got that out again. So that's another film I've seen a number of times. So, uh, but, uh, but yeah, all good. Is that, are we, Eric, it's your choice. Um, yes. Are we spent? I think we are a spent force, yes. Okay. Well, And I look forward to Freddy's Revenge maybe in the future. Yes, I'm sure that'll get picked quite soon because that's going to be a fun one to uh, mm. to talk about. Um, so what we'll do, we'll come back um, after this uh, with some feedback. So see you in a mo. Be sure to search for and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at THC underscore podcast. Our voicemail is 858-233-9281. And you can email us directly at the.hysteria.continues at gmail.com. I can hear a cat. I can hear a cat purring. Oh. Yes, that's Argento. I've let him in. He's Argento on my lap. Kruger. <laughs> yes. Who probably is the one who scratched me last night. Argento's knocking at the door. <laughs> Somebody's ringing a bell. Sorry. He scratched you last night to prepare you for Nightmare on Elm Street. Exactly. So and now he's um, becoming the, the fifth member of the podcast again. So uh, it's kind of something about podcasts and cats, isn't there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They seem very attractive to the microphones. Yes. So feedback. Oh, we have a voicemail. Do we have any other feedback Joseph, I have I have one should we do the voicemail first or yeah, sure go ahead yeah okay here's a voicemail voicemail mail <laughs> hi this is Fred Voorhees um look it doesn't bother me that you know any of you guys are homos and you know you're bobbing for apples or whatever man you guys are very knowledgeable and you guys are the best the the best let me tell you um Look, I don't care about Knob's Hill or, you know, wherever you guys, you know, hang out or none of that stuff, man. You guys are pros. I love you guys. You know, none of that stuff bothers me. Um, yeah, if I keep talking about it, one's going to wonder if it really does bother me, right? So I'll stop. Um, look, I wanted to say, I wonder, a few suggestions. Have you guys seen The Mad Mutilator? It's pretty sick. Um, the Mad Mutilator is, I believe it's a French uh, slasher-turned-zombie movie towards the end. Uh Pretty sick stuff. Check out the Man Mutilator, guys, if you haven't seen it. Also, The Abomination. It's kind of a deadly spawn uh, slasher kind of movie. Uh, very interesting. Guys, uh, for recent shit, um, sorry for the cuts were there, but uh, uh, there's a new uh, low-budget release. Um, uh, guys, I know you'd be interested. Your uh, Night Before Easter, you know, being low-budget, which was a great, great movie, by the way. Can't wait for your next uh, like. But uh, very low budget in that same vein as that. Um, uh, it's called Mischief Night. Definitely check it out. That's how low budget should be done. Uh, well, Night Before Easter, too. Don't get me wrong. But uh, uh, Mischief Night, excellent. You guys should even do a podcast on Mischief Night, man. Um, 2014 low budget, excellent. Anyway, don't want to make this too long. Uh, again, I don't care what you guys do on your spare time. Uh, hey, you know, out of the closet, doesn't matter, dude. You guys, you guys the knowledge, it's just it's phenomenal. Okay, peace out, guys. Well, thanks for the night before Easter, love, but he should probably understand that I'm the only Mo on the podcast. <laughs> yes. Mm, that you are. Yes. Well, um, The other three guys, they're all ladies, ladies, man. Yes. I love those boobies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the least convincing thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, well, well, no, thanks for the voicemail. So I'm being, this, this cat is flipping and flopping all over me. Um, <laughs> 
he's he's got to fall off. You know when he's he's not the brightest cat, and he's he's got his ass perched perilously <laughs> on my knee, and he's just going to slip off at any moment. So I'm going to see if I can pull him off. Well, not hold on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Eric. <laughs> In the meantime. <laughs> Um, uh, yes, that picture you put up on on History Continuous Facebook of your injuries that you um, acquired during the night. Yeah. Uh, John Tipton wants to know: you may consider having those marks compared to Eric's dental records. He could have mm. confused your arm for a chunky Kit Kat. Y- yes, well, that would, although that would have been very odd if you'd well, flown the, all the way from Dublin. I know. My arm. I think the chunky but, Kit Kat probably has more protein in, in, than Justin's arm does. Probably does. Yeah. Hayden Watkins wants to know, Justin, if you dance around your room like Jesse in part two as well. I bet you do. Not yet, but I will in preparation for part two. I should get my dance moves (laughs) down. I can imagine Justin dancing. Yeah, I know. I was dancing last night. We we had a barbecue and we had a big uh, party and we had lots of people around all dancing. I have to admit that vegan barbecue food that you posted actually looked delicious. Mm. It was. The cheesecake looked nice. It was. White, White chocolate Oreo. Oh, God, that cheese, sounds good. Cheesecake. I'm hungry. Yeah. And what kind of music did you make them all dance to? Was it Bauhaus? No, but I did put on Susie at the end. Because kind of you wanted to get rid room. of them? <laughs> 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 no, we were dancing to David Bowie and oh, cool. what other stuff? Um, oh, Nancy and Lee. Um, Nancy and Lee. All right. Nancy's and stuff, just sort of like basically, yeah, just sort of loads of... Um, obscure not obscure stuff but just kind of odd odd stuff and um, but yeah it was just like good fun so slightly hung over today but not too bad but that's a shocker i know yeah very shocking news well i hadn't drunk for six days 12 minutes that. Yeah. 12 minutes yeah six minutes before that mm. but um but anyway let's get back to the 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 voicemail the, the mad mutilator um i'm aware of it i've not seen it it's a french film isn't it from 1983 um, have any of you seen it? No. I think it starts, as, as he said, it starts off like a slasher and then ends up like a zombie movie with lots of different things going on. It's a film I'd like to have a, I'd like to, you know, have a look at, but I've not, I've not seen. Um, and Mischief Night, have we, I'm not aware of that. I could yet. be, I could be confusing. Is that the one with Daniel Harris? I'm not sure. I'm Anyone? Not sure. Or is that Halloween yeah. night? Nathan, you would know. You watch a lot of these direct video crap fests. <laughs> I was I was muted because I'm working. Um, no, Mischief Night, I think there's actually two Mischief Nights that's come out recently. One of them one one of the ones is the one with the babysitter, and she's being menaced by this psychopath, and it's supposed to take this uh, different turn, I guess, where she kind of falls for him or something. It's supposed to be really uh, different. I mean, I've heard bad things actually for the most part and there's another mischief knot that's come out that i don't know as much about yet it's um yeah i'm looking uh, at it here it's a slasher movie or not Mm. it says young emily watson who has suffered from psychosomatic blindness ever since the car accident that took her mother's life must summon every insect stinked at her disposal to protect herself and her loved ones from a mysterious intruder kind of sounds like eyes of a stranger it sounds like maybe a home invasion type movie possibly Mm. Yeah, it's, it's weird that mm. two films with the same title have come out in the space of a year. Mm. Well, maybe phone us back and uh, let us know which one you're talking about. But uh, but no, thanks for the call. Uh, and I'm glad you don't mind a couple of the homos. So it's good to know. So, um, but uh, okay, and anything, Eric, have you got anything or is it just Joseph? No, it's just Joseph, I think. Okay. 
Okay, this is from uh, Andrew Rooney. He says, "Hey guys, it's been it's been too long, Matron. So I thought I'd drop you a line. Enjoyed Nathan making all the paper rustling in the last episode of Blood Rage. It's a film. <laughs> it's a Our- film. I've- <laughs> okay, it's a film I've always wanted to see, but haven't been able to locate it. I'm really surprised that you're mixed to negative reviews on Madman. Basically, you're all wrong. It's a work. It's a work." For- from the Scooby-Doo type behavior of the counselors to the bonkers dialogue and facial expressions. It's so rewatchable for me due to its utter stupidity and crappy acting. Eric, I'm particularly disappointed at you. (gasps) The killer seems like your type. Huge, hairy, sweaty, and angry. Well, when you put it like that, maybe I should re-watch the movie. But I think your problem is that he was kind of deformed in the face, and you're you're that's you're, probably you're, it. Yeah, you're, you're very you're very picky about your. Mind. I am very fussy. Justin, I would have thought TP would have been your type with his smooth ass and skinny <laughs> vegan type legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andrew. Anyway, enough shenanigans. Looking forward to Nightmare on Elm Street. As always, I look also look forward to the Mutilator episode. And when are you going to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nathan? Take care, Andrew Rooney. Eventually. Yes. Well, you still... I think you said, didn't you, Nathan, that you couldn't... Yeah, because it's your favourite horror movie, and if Eric was mean about it, which he threatened to be... I know. I don't want anything to hurt mine and Eric's friendship. I know. Uh, (laughs) Well, it might... uh, well, when we find out what is a choice for next time, there may be some friendships tested. Yeah, yeah, that, there will be, I'm sure. <laughs> um, we've. Are we allowed to say about um, upcoming commentaries? Yeah, um, basically, they're, the cat's pretty much out of the bag. We will be doing commentary tracks for Christmas Evil and Madman, actually. Mm. Yes. Blu-ray, Blu-rays for both. 4K yeah. restorations for both. Yes, which will be very exciting, and um, hopefully, because I, I was—I do think I was the one who stuck up for Madman on the episode. I seem to like it more than the rest of you. So hopefully, you'll you'll. Hey, I said I liked it, it better than the Burning. Yes, but mm. you always said you didn't like Madman. Yeah, I no, just—I actually do like Madman. Okay, were you talking to me or to Joseph? To you. I'm sorry. I'm oh, okay. I actually do like Madman, but. <clears throat> Um, I just I said I don't think it's a top tier slasher. I think it's like a second tier. Okay. Yeah, Nathan and I have kind of traded places. I used to love Madman. He used to hate it. Now he kind of likes it. And I, I don't hate it. I just think it's a missed opportunity. Fair enough. Okay. Um, is there anything else to say? We haven't got any other feedback, have we? So, um, nope. please do write in. We're actually going to have a, having a uh, a little not break really, just an extra week. Um, we're going to be recording in three weeks' time um, mm-hmm. because I'm off to sunnier climbs for a couple of weeks. Uh, so, um, do you want to say it's Joseph? It's your choice next, isn't it? Do you want to? Yes, we're going people? to have uh, Johnny Krug back on the show hey, again. Yes, um, we're going to be covering Nathan's all-time favorite movie, Silent Rage. Oh That's- God. Three weeks. It just seems too soon. <laughs> well, you, Nathan, you know you can get the ultimate revenge, can't you? Your yeah. Oh, there, there's, there's. I mean, you guys have this one movie on me, but I have a plethora of titles yes, we know. that I could use. We know. We know. 
Yeah. Just wait the, till um, I get to my Terra Tenkiller Blood Lake uh, double feature. I'm excited. Mm. Oh, I thought you were. Who knows? He might he might change his mind on Silent Rage. We'll see. I promise. I promise, Joseph. I did make him a promise that I will go in with an open mind. I won't go in with a negative attitude. Okay. Okay. So, um, well, when is your choice? Are you well? Is it going to be? Is it going to be that uh, double bill coming up, Nathan? I don't know if that's going to be it because I think my choice is coming in the fall. I mean, is that? Oh, I, don't I think, know. or is some, I mean, it's it's going to be after summer, and I wanted to pick those for summer. Okay, so we might have to wait for another oh, year. Year? Oh no! <laughs> no, instead we could just do something like you know the Death Nurse films, which are extensions oh, of Crazy. No, Pineapple we can. We'll, no, we can do Terror Tenkiller. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Kill Me Now. Yeah, um, actually, I think I'd rather do the Death Nurse films than the Terror Tenkiller. Okay. Well, I'm sure. Like, I'm not of- sure what my next pick is going to be yet. I haven't actually picked a film in so long. I need well, to look through and see what I want to choose. Yeah, because we've gone through all of the listener picks now, haven't we? So we're now back on our own. I mean, there's there's still loads. There's there's enough that we could be doing this in another twenty years' time, heaven forbid. But um, but uh, but yes, but Silent Range is coming up next, so that should be an interesting time, I think. Mm. But uh, anything else we want to say before we sign off? Hashtag I love everyone. Oh, mm. Eric. Um, hashtag bye. Yes, Nathan. Uh, hashtag hashtag. Ah, very meta. Is that the right term? Anyway, I'm trying to be very existential. Yes. Okay. Well, you're succeeding better than Eric's joke telling. Hey, thank um, you. And also, Eric, where was this? You were supposed to be bringing it on. I was expecting you to. You I was. Were... I was telling you that you. I was insinuating that you wore lots of spandex leotards, and I said you were like an alcoholic, just like Ronnie Blakely is in the movie. Is that all you've got? Yeah. Okay. Hashtag fail. That means that he's also an amazing actor. <laughs> if he's just like Ronnie Blakely. <laughs> well, I take that's a compliment. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan, for your kind words. Um, You're welcome. So, okay, well, look forward to uh, catching up with you all next time. And we're, what are we going to be playing out with, Eric? Oh, this is a band called 213, and they sing a song called Nightmare at the end of, um, at the end credits, during the end credits. And uh, I tried to find some information on them, but it failed. So, hashtag fail. But they hashtag rock. Right. Okay, well, here they are. And um, see you next time. Bye. Hashtag bye. Who's your favorite character in Silent Rage? I don't know. (laughs) Nobody. He doesn't approve of of penis bum bum action, no. (laughs) I don't know. That the banana proves it because of the way it's designed. Aliens would go to hell because they weren't Christian. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. I've heard that. <laughs> you guys are done shitting all over my idea. We can go back and forth. I thought Inga. I could pull the Eric roll. Hashtag Inga.
Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag. Well, 